Hey, Obsassnacks, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. This week, I am breaking down all of the deleted extra and bonus scenes from season one. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassnack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander Season 7 and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into all the deleted scenes from Season 1. should preface this by saying that we're not going to discuss every deleted scene today. I seriously underestimated how many deleted and extended scenes there were in season one, let alone all the other seasons. I originally intended on just having an episode dedicated to deleted scenes, extra scenes, and extended scenes for the series, but quickly realized that that was likely going to be a two or a three hour episode. So rather than try to cram it all into one episode, I decided to break it down by season. I figured that would give me more podcasting ammunition as we head on down the Droughtlander Highway. So I'm going to be doing season one today and also another disclaimer. I do realize that there are a lot of deleted slash extended scenes that were included in The Reckoning 109. However, because of the structure of the Blu-ray format that I have, they did not include any of those scenes as separate deleted scene extras. I would have had to watch the whole episode of The Reckoning as an extended version, and I just did not have time for that today or this week. So my plan is for my next episode, rather than do my analysis of Sam Hewen's new book, Waypoints, which I know some of you were excited about, but I just have not had time to finish reading it. So I'm going to continue on doing the extended slash extra slash deleted scenes, and I'm going to do a redux episode for The Reckoning and kind of talk about everything that was cut from that episode and why I think it was beneficial or why I did not think it was beneficial, plus some additional thoughts on The Reckoning, because I do think that I'm a bit further along the road in these podcast formats and might have some more valuable things to add than I had the first time that we recorded this back two years ago, almost three years ago now. That is going to be next week as long as everything goes according to plan. Just kind of wanted to keep you guys in the loop. And then, of course, as Droughtlander progresses, we will get into season two and on from there as far as the deleted scenes go. Season two also has an extended episode for Faith, so I will probably do a Redux episode for Faith as well, just so that we can all be entertained and chat about everything that was deleted from that episode and whether it should have or should not have been. So with all of that being said, let's get into some of the deleted scenes that were included for season one. The first one was actually deleted from the episode Sassnack 101, 
one. And I love some of these titles that they've come up for these scenes. This first one is called A Word to the Wise, and it's Mrs. Baird talking to Frank and Claire about how the ghosts are free to walk about on the feast days. And she goes on to tell a little story about this house up on the hill that is haunted because there was a man that was sacrificed for the foundation, and he's buried in the cellar. And why I think that this is extremely interesting to note is because if you'll remember forward, jump forward to season four with me, this is the exact same story that Stephen Bonnet tells Roger when they're talking about kind of a turning point in Bonnet's life when he was working with a crew of men and they decided that there must be a sacrifice lest the foundations tremble and the walls collapse. And so it was almost him that was sacrificed for this foundation instead of daft Joey. They flipped a coin. He won the coin toss. They hit him over the head and he woke up with the shilling in his pocket. So this is the exact same story. And it's one of those through lines that's very unique to Outlander. It's something that Diana Gabaldon does quite a bit with her work. And I actually really appreciated that the show even attempted to include that. However, when we look at the grand scheme of things and how this scene was put together. As much as I love little Mrs. Baird, the actress does leave a bit to be desired in her performance. The scene felt really forced. I don't know whether it was the writing or what, but it was super awkward and I can totally understand why they didn't keep the scene. It's not critical to the plot of the show at all. So yeah, it hit the chopping block and I do kind of agree with it. Now, I'm not going to include every single scene that was deleted because there are a lot of them and I simply don't have the time. But I'm going to hit the big ones that I think have some merit, I guess, or for reasons that I completely see why they were cut out, just to kind of point that out. And if you guys don't know where to find these scenes or haven't seen them at all, and you have the Blu-ray or the DVD, you can probably check them out on the special features there. I know that they're definitely on the Blu-ray. I think there are a few on the DVD, although not as many. And then, you know, YouTube is a great tool as well. They have a lot of the scenes there for you to check out. The second scene that I want to talk about is called Five Days. It takes place in 102 Castle Leak. This is a scene that really caught my eye for multitudes of reasons. First off, at the very beginning of this scene, it's when Claire is on her way to speak with Colum after she first arrives at Castle Leak. She's being escorted by Myrta. She's walking up the stairs to Colum's office or room or whatever you want to call it, kind of having this voiceover moment where she's talking about how many women before her have walked up stairs just like this to meet a Laird and have their fate sealed, yada yada. And she's talking about Anne Boleyn, Lady Jane Grey. And that really rubbed me the wrong way because as much as I get her point, it's a completely different set of circumstances. I get the analogy that they're trying to draw, but as far as history is concerned, the connection just did not click. It wasn't as powerful as I think they meant it to be, which is probably one reason that they cut it out. But there were valuable parts to this scene in general. I feel like we're really starting to get an idea of how the column-Claire dynamic works. I think Claire challenges column in a way that not many people do, and that part of her intrigues him. 
we get a bit more back and forth between them. It really shows this war of intelligence between the two. So for that reason alone, I was kind of sad that we lost this. It was more of an extended scene than a deleted scene, and they cut the parts of it that didn't really make sense to keep in there. Another moment in this scene that kind of raised a red flag for me was when Colm and Claire are talking about how it would make it awkward for Colm to harbor a fugitive of the crown when he's technically, as a laird of the clan Mackenzie, allied with the crown in a way. In truth, Hearing that from Claire's perspective, 100%. I could see how that would be awkward. But when you've watched the show all the way through and you know the subtext of this scene, he's actually talking in a bit of an ironic situation because he's harboring Jamie, who has a warrant out for his arrest. There is a bit of a huh moment there. And I get that as a Laird, he would say that to Claire because Claire doesn't know Jamie's story. Claire doesn't know that he's a fugitive. That makes sense. But I can also see why they cut out that line because then later in the episode, when we find out that Jamie has a price on his head, it does kind of get confusing a little bit as to why he would say that when it's not really important to the conversation at all. There's another deleted scene from this episode called A Simple Routine. And the one thing that really stood out to me and why I wanted to mention it was because, you know, one of the biggest complaints that I think I hear about season one of Outlander is the sheer number of voiceovers and how superfluous they can be to the show. Why are they important? Why do we even have all of this chit chat? It's unnecessary. As much as people complain about the final cut voiceovers, if they watch the deleted scenes, there are so many more voiceovers that already got cut because they were viewed as superfluous. Just be thankful is the underlying lesson here to be learned. The showrunners cut a lot of these voiceovers out that weren't critical to the viewer's understanding of the plot of the story. I will say they do help to get us in the same mindset as Claire, for us to understand why she's feeling the way that she's feeling and kind of bring us into the fold, I guess, a little bit, because there are certain things about this season that you can definitely tell with the show, they're learning as they go. And there are certain things that they do that they think they wouldn't ever do again, and they don't. The voiceovers are one of those things. As the show progresses, you can see them using them less and less because they realize what talent they have in their main actors and they have more and more confidence in them as the seasons go on. So I do think overall Katrina does a fantastic job. There are a couple of voiceovers and I'll get to them here in a little bit that were cut from the season that I do think they could have benefited by keeping in there. But overall, I think it was a good choice to remove some of that ADR and just kind of go with what the actors are showing on the screen versus telling us. The second episode of season one, Castle Leuk, had a ton of deleted scenes in it. I was actually surprised for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but they could have done an extended episode on this. I'm a proponent of seeing things the way that a writer intended for us to see it. Anytime they have episodes where there is a large chunk of scenes that did not make it to the final cut, I always, no matter whether I like the episode or not, 
want to see the full rendition as it was originally structured to be. Because I feel like that changes the tone of the episode immensely when you start cutting things here and there and shaving for time and removing scenes. We really start to feel differently. And it's amazing how one scene being removed or even a couple of lines from one character being taken out of the final cut can change an entire dynamic, an entire tone of the episode. For Castle Leak, it wasn't a hugely favorite episode of mine, and I do think that I kind of would have liked to see a lot of these extra scenes, but the one that I was most upset about losing was this scene, Do You Know Her? It takes place after Jamie is beaten up by Rupert in the hall to save Leary from public humiliation. And Claire's wondering why Jamie would do something like that, why he would put himself in a position where he had the shit beaten out of him for some young for some young woman that he seems to have no close connection with we learn that Jamie did it to spare her that humiliation because he's beaten, but people will get over it in a few days. It won't be any big deal, but people would forever remember Leary being whipped for loose behavior in front of basically her entire family, the entire clan. That's humiliating, not only to her, but to her family. This scene gives us a lot of different levels. It shows how kind-hearted Jamie is. It also also shows a growing connection between him and Claire as Claire doctors him a little bit, but it also shows Claire learning from Mrs. Fitz and them building that bond as well so that whenever they come back from rent and Mrs. Fitz is just so excited to see Jamie and Claire married and, you know, all of that, we understand that Mrs. Fitz views this as two of her favorite people getting married and she's so excited about it. The way that it's set up now, it's kind of out of left field, her excitement, at least it was for me. And so I think if we had kept this scene where we show Claire and Mrs. Fitz kind of bonding a little bit, it would have gone over better. Another thing that I like is that we're kind of learning about the medicinal properties of some of the herbs and things like leeches that were commonly used back in the day that seem kind of strange to us, but do have a purpose and a function. I like that kind of stuff anyway. And so I felt like a little bit bit of a nerd, but also it was oddly satisfying to see how you would use leeches, how you would use white willow bark or St. John's wort. That felt very outlander to me because when you read the books, you're constantly learning about the medical properties of all sorts of herbs and things like that. There weren't a lot of scenes in this season that I was just completely butthurt about, okay? And there are some scenes over the course of the season that I'm like, oh my god, I cannot believe that they cut that. But this wasn't really one of those seasons for me. There were only a couple of scenes that I was like, oh, I'm sad that we didn't get that. But I understand in the grand scheme of things generally why they cut it. Although this scene for me, I really did kind of wonder why it didn't make it into the final cut. So moving forward to 105, Rent, there was only one scene cut from this episode that really I was sad about, and it's the scene called Scots Will Never Flee. It takes place while they are 
bedded down for the night in the scene where Jamie is punching the tree. It's an extended scene. And this is all happening after Dougal rips Jamie's shirt off and exposes his flogging scars to the whole pub slash tavern full of people while he's doing his Jacobite speech. And Jamie's upset about it. Jamie has just got done confronting Dougal about how he doesn't owe him this. You may be my uncle, but enough is enough. My back is my own concern. After that whole conversation has had, Claire goes down and speaks with Jamie. The majority of this scene did get kept, which I'm glad because this is a very important scene for the development of Jamie and Claire's friendship. However, the things that got cut in this scene have to do with the chemistry between Jamie and Claire, but also Jamie's intelligence and education, as well as kind of the street smarts that he has. It's really a Jamie moment where we really begin to understand how his life is structured, how his personality is formed. He puts his family first above all things, and that is why he continues to allow Dougal to get away with the things that he does, because Dougal is his uncle. But also, Jamie realizes that you have to pick and choose your battles. You have to decide what's worth fighting for and what's worth dying for. And he explains to Claire that this is not something that he thinks is worth fighting for or dying for, as humiliating as it may be. Dougal thinks that it is. So when you have a situation like that, you really have to decide whether it's worth the argument, basically. Dougal is a very staunch Jacobite, and he believes that there's nothing more important in this world than having a free Scotland that does not have another country's soldiers occupying its soil and has its own king. It's not someone else in a city far, far away, completely out of touch with the customs and cultures of its people. That's one thing that Dougal is 100% willing to lay down his life for. Jamie says, oh, well, I can't expect you to understand, I suppose. And Claire says, no, I do understand. I saw something similar happen in France, which is a flub on her part because she's talking about what she witnessed while fighting in World War II with the invasion of the Germans. Because Jamie is an educated and intelligent man, he immediately assumes that she's talking about the Huguenots in France, which was a religiously persecuted group of people that were, to a great extent, slaughtered, and those that survived fled. And what he's saying is, while that's a good example of this happening, it's also different because the Huguenots fled France. Scots will never flee. That was also important for the audience to see that parallel drawn there. Scotland is a different country and its people are different and they have strong beliefs in how things should be. And this is kind of the situation that Claire has fallen into hook, line, and sinker. Like she didn't have a choice about it, but she needs to understand the environment and the people that she's around. And I think that this scene does a good job of showing that. And I didn't entirely agree with the choice to shorten this even though I know that they have time constraints and that they have to pick and choose. But I felt like the whole episode of Rent, there were several different things that I didn't feel were quite as important for the overall structure of the episode that could have been cut instead of this. So that's kind of where I stand on that. 
The next scene I want to discuss is the ending of 106, The Garrison Commander. Famously, this episode ends with the whole, no, I don't mind if you're a virgin as long as you don't care that I am scene that left millions of people with their jaws on the floor. Because who can believe that Jamie Fraser is a virgin? Like, seriously. That is kind of what this episode is famous for. However, there are tons of things about this episode, including Tobias Menzies' phenomenal performance that stand out to me personally as a viewer. This scene that I want to discuss right now is called The Idea of Marriage, and it's an extension of how the final cut actually proceeds. That's pretty much the end of 106 as it stands in the official episode, where Claire finally decides fuck it, let's just do this then, and marches towards the men, grabs the bottle of wine out of Dougal's hand, and walks off screen, and that's the end of the episode. In this version of the episode, the original ending of 106, there's a voiceover where Claire is kind of talking herself through this process and wondering would marrying Jamie be the worst decision? It does have its merit. She'd be much freer to do as she wished if she was the wife of a Scot. And she realizes that Jamie is probably going to be her best option in that department. They're friends. They get along. He's going to give her more freedom than a lot of other men would. And so that's probably in the end, if she wants to get back to Inverness and she wants to get back to Craig Nadoom, he's probably her best avenue forward. But But she's also saying, yeah, this all may be true. It's just that the idea of marriage is bloody unthinkable. In all of this, all she can think about is Frank. She wants to get back to Frank. How could she betray Frank in that way? I think that the inclusion of the doc scene was very smart because it shows that connection that Claire and Frank have, but it also shows that Frank had doubts about Claire, about the quality of their marriage, whether it would survive the war whether she would stay faithful. And he said, in stressful situations, people think things that they wouldn't normally think. And that he's not saying if they had continued their marriage and World War II had never happened, that he would have ever had doubts about her. But when you're alone at night, and you just think about how much you want to be with that person, doubts start to sink in and you start to wonder about things. I can see why he had doubts, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I would 100% have never had doubts about my significant other at all if I had been separated from them for that amount of time. I think that it was important for us to get that doc scene because Claire said, see, I'm still here and I'm not going anywhere, reassuring him that she's in it for the long run. And so when we flash back to her sitting in the 18th century with her bottle of wine staring off into the distance on this log, we understand why she's thinking about that, right? Because she's about to do exactly what she promised Frank she would never do, which is come together with another man in matrimony, basically cheat on him, become an adulteress. And this is what she struggles with all throughout the next episode. But I don't think that you fully understand as a viewer what she's struggling with until you see this scene. It's something that kind of happens after the fact. And I think they take it for granted that most people understand her plight, understand what she's struggling with. However, I don't feel like you're fully in it with her unless you see a scene like this where she's struggling with the morality of it all, with how much 
much she loves her husband, with how much she doesn't want to be in this situation, but she has to for her own safety. I do think that it may have been a mistake to cut this from the episode. As great as the ending of Garrison Commander is, and as wonderful as that is, I love watching the end of that episode because it's so epic. But for the understanding of our characters, I do think that we needed to keep this idea of marriage seen in some way, shape, or form. So we trudge on to 107, The Wedding. There are several very good scenes. This is another episode where I kind of just wish that we had an extended episode. Literally every scene that was cut from this episode, I was sad that it got cut. It was such high quality work from everybody involved. One thing that I thought was actually very interesting about watching the deleted scenes for this episode was how much post work they do after the episode is put together to make it look and feel the way that it does in the final version. Because we get the original, this is how it looks through the regular lens and how much filters and additional special effects are put in to really bring out the candlelight in the wedding scene and make it look so romantic. I love how the wedding looks in the final cut that we get of 107. And I totally agree with the choice to run it like that. However, I do think that the original way that the wedding was written has some merit as a deleted or an extra. It's almost like watching your own wedding video back. You're in it with Jamie and Claire when you watch the final cut episode. And then you kind of get to see it as an observer whenever you look at the deleted scene version of it. You get the snickers from the audience. You get the priest trying not to sneeze throughout the whole ceremony. You get the hesitation of Claire really starting to freak out while she's giving her vows and you have Jamie forgetting what he's supposed to say and looking at the priest for help. All of these things are so valuable and kind of oddly satisfying as a viewer to get. I support their decision to put it in 107 the way they did. However, if you have not seen the full cut of the wedding as it was filmed, I highly recommend you go on YouTube and find it if you do not have the Blu-rays or DVDs because it's really fun to watch. Other than the actual wedding, there are a couple of scenes that I wanted to mention. The first is a scene called Why Jamie? We get a portion of this scene in the flashback when we're talking about why Jamie agreed to marry Claire. However, there's a lot more to that scene that we don't see. What we aren't seeing is Murta's extreme dislike of this idea. It's clearly Dougal's idea for Jamie to marry Claire. You can see it one of two ways. You can see it as an optimist and how Dougal appreciates what Claire did in standing up to Blackjack, taking a beating without making a fuss, and after the events at the end of Garrison Commander where she drinks from the Ninian Spring and supposedly tells him the truth because it didn't burn her gullet out, that he now trusts her and views her as an important part of the clan and he's willing to protect her and that's why he's marrying her to Jamie. Or you can see it as Murta sees it and as he explains it to Jamie in that he wants Jamie out of the way because he wants to 
lead Clan Mackenzie. And if Jamie marries Assassinac, there's no way anybody is going to support his claim as the next Laird of the clan. On top of that, Murta fully understands what kind of danger Jamie is putting himself in by, once again, placing himself between someone and Blackjack Randall, just as he did with Jenny, which is what got him flogged in the first place. Murta has a lot of concerns radiating from this decision. What he's not realizing is that at this point, point, Jamie has developed a strong bond with Claire. He's most likely in love with her already based on kind of what we get from later on in the series and also knowledge that we have from reading the books. It's not going to matter one bit what the reasoning is for it. He has the opportunity to marry Claire and he's going to do it. So Myrta's objections are sustained. Let's put it that way. But I did like that we get to see the godson-godfather relationship that kind of carries on through the remainder of the series. It really sets that foundation for us. The other scene of note in 107 is also an extended scene where Claire almost kisses Jamie and then she pulls back and says, tell me about your family because she's just not ready to go there. What's fun about this is it's the full story of Brian and Ellen's relationship. And it also tells us that Jamie lost his mother when he was eight years old and that his father saw him grow up, but that his father is also dead now. And Claire lost both of her parents at the age of five. So it does tell us a little bit more about our main characters and kind of the sense of loss that they carry with them because their parents have died so young. One thing that really stood out to me, and I think that this is just because of the announcement we've had in recent months about stars putting together a prequel called Blood of My Blood, which follows Brian and Ellen's love story. So it did make me wonder if this scene at some point was going to reemerge as kind of a lead in to this series, kind of to just draw that connection for people that might be a little bit iffy about completely new characters to say, oh no, here's Katrina and Sam. Remember them? It's like a safety blanket. And this is the story. See, Jamie's telling the story. Isn't this fun? And then it just kind of fades into this new show. And by then people are starting to become okay with the scene again. So I wouldn't be surprised if in some sort of marketing materials or interlude for the series, this scene begins to reemerge because it does tell the whole story about how Red Jacob was okay with Ellen marrying someone that she loved, but after he died, Colum and Dougal weren't going to be as patient with her. And so it became a thing where they were going to force her into this marriage that she didn't want. And she wasn't about to stand for that. And so she ran off with Brian Fraser. This is kind of where Blood of My Blood is going to pick up, I think, based on everything I have read about Diana working on the prequel. That prequel picks up with the death of Red Jacob, which is Ellen and Dougal and Jocasta and Colum's father. So that that was kind of a random thought that I had about that scene and I thought I'd share it with you guys. Moving on to 108 Both Sides Now, there was one scene cut from this episode which is called Bound by Society's Rules. And I actually really loved this scene because it is the extended scene of when Claire is confronted by Blackjack at the very end of Both Sides Now. It's talking about a wig as a symbol of basically oppression, if you will. It symbolizes 
the constraints that men of a certain class have on them, the rules that they have to follow, and really it just makes them all look like idiots in Claire's opinion. But Blackjack explains to her that it's actually a signal that I am of breeding, I am of a certain class, and yes, I agree to conform to its rules. And that says a lot about a man's position in life. I adored this scene because it really shows the viewer how dangerous Blackjack is because he can almost lure you in to feeling like he's normal and he's not completely evil so that in the same scene, five minutes later, he can turn on a dime and have Claire pinned against a desk ready to rape her at knife point and you're like, wait a minute, how did we get here? That kind of whiplash is really critical, I think, to upping the ante on these scenes and really showing us how much of a villain Blackjack can be because he really is just a Jekyll and Hyde. I actually really like this. I thought that it showed off Katrina's acting, Tobias's acting, and really gives you an appreciation for the writers in this scene. Like I said, we're going to skip over the reckoning because I'm actually going to do the Redux episode on that here in a few weeks. 110 by the pricking of my thumbs had one cut scene that I actually really liked for a similar reason to why I liked the cut scene from Rent is that I think it shows a little bit more of who Jamie is and where he comes from. This is Jamie and Claire talking just after the Duke of Sandringham has requested for Jamie to be his second in the duel with the McDonald's. And Claire is super worried. She doesn't think that they can trust Sandringham because of his connection with Blackjack Randall. And she doesn't want Jamie anywhere near him because of the danger that that poses. In her angst over the situation, she's saying, I don't understand why they would choose you. And Jamie's saying, well, because it's an insult to the McDonald's to have somebody of low birth as your second. And she's like, oh, so he'll have a stable boy instead? How is that any different? And Jamie replies, I'm not a stable boy. I'm the Laird of Lollybrock. It really brings into focus the pride that he has on his upbringing. And when you look at it, Jamie is anything but a stable boy. He's the grandson of Red Jacob, but also the grandson of Lord Lovett, Simon Fraser, who is known as the Old Fox. So two lairds of two of the largest clans in the Highlands are his grandfathers, and he was raised to take over the Lollybrock estate after his brother Willie died. So he has a lot of pride in that. He is very educated. Educated. Not that he's rich, but he's a landowner and that is worth something. So he's not just a random stable boy. I think that that's lost on a lot of people. The pride and like how relatively high-born Jamie is. I don't think that that's something that's touched on enough. They kind of dumb him down for Claire, and I know I talked about this with Angela in the King of Men double feature that we did a few months ago, but Jamie is extremely intelligent and very well-educated and that needs to be recognized. I feel like that needs to be said in this situation. Moving on to 111, The Devil's Mark. We had a couple of scenes cut from this episode that I think are very valid for people to watch. I'm not saying that it should have been in the final cut of this episode because I understand why they did it. They were what showrunners call open scenes, which means that they don't include any of your lead characters that you normally follow their point of view. So Jamie or Claire were not in these 
scenes. However, when you look at motivations for characters and overall story arcs, these scenes are extremely important to your understanding of why certain things happened the way that they did. There are scenes between Colm and Ned. The first is when Ned comes in and says, Colm, Claire's been arrested for witchcraft along with Galus Duncan. We have to do something. And Colm point blank refuses to help Claire and advises Ned not to help her either because we learn that Colm is the reason that the authorities were sent to arrest Galus anyway. Yes, it's unfortunate that Claire was caught in the crossfire, but honestly, as much as he likes Claire, it kind of hits two birds with one stone in a lot of ways because Colm was not supportive of the match between Jamie and Claire in the first place because he wants Jamie to replace him as Laird when he passes on. He doesn't want Dougal to take over the clan. He doesn't think that Dougal is the right person for the job. By having Claire killed or executed as a witch, that now opens Jamie back up to take over the clan because he no longer has a Sassanac wife. Claire's collateral damage, but convenient collateral damage. He didn't set out for Claire to be caught, but he also says, you know, she was warned not to be there and she didn't listen. So she made her bed. Now she has to sleep in it. The main motivation for this is he wants Galus out of the way. He does not approve of the relationship that Dougal and Galus have formed and wants her out of the way. He thinks that she's a witch and a temptress. And when push comes to shove, he's going to protect his brother instead of her. If it were ever found out that Dougal and Galus had an adulterous relationship while the fiscal was alive, that would be a public embarrassment of the worst sort. Dougal would probably have to be publicly punished, some sort of flogging or whipping or time in the pillory, some sort of thing, and so would Galus, and they would have a bastard child out of it. It's a very touchy situation, and Colm views this as the easiest way forward that gets rid of the most evidence, even if if it is going to cost Claire her life. And that's the sacrifice that Ned is not willing to make. And so he goes and he represents Claire and Galus anyway, which results in the second scene. Ned comes back all bloodied and beaten and Colm says, I ordered you not to go. And he said, well, actually you advised me not to go and I chose not to take that advice. You can see in this scene that Colm is actually relieved that Claire got away and Ned is tickled pink that Claire got away. That kind of closes that arc a little bit. I think that honestly, Gary Lewis and Bill Patterson did a fantastic job. And I was sad for them that this got cut because I think that they're very compelling scenes. But also, I understand what Ron Moore was thinking when they cut it because you just expect to have this back and forth between Colm's POV and Claire's POV by including this scene as the opening scene. So I understand and appreciate why they didn't include it. But again, if you have the ability to check out these bonus scenes, definitely go and do so because I think it helps you to understand the motives of the people involved in The Devil's Mark. The next scene that I want to chat about is from 113 The Watch. It is an extended scene between Jamie and 
and Ian after Ian kills Horrocks for blackmailing Jamie. And they're kind of discussing how Ian dreams of going back to soldiering. Obviously, we know this isn't practical because he now only has one leg and having a soldier with one leg just really complicates things. But the important part of this scene to know is Ian's point of view in all of this. As much as he loves his wife and as much as he loves his children, there's a part of him that is missing because of the loss of his leg. He feels like he's less of a man with more time passing every day and he just wants to reclaim that part of himself. He basically wants to relive the good old days where he and Jamie were mercenaries in France. And this harkens back to the time period that is covered in the novella Virgins. So if this deleted scene kind of piqued your interest and you want more of young Jamie and young Ian, check out Virgins. It's a great little story. Basically what this covers is that after Jamie was flogged at Fort William, he was only 18, very young and inexperienced. They all knew that Jamie was going to have to flee the country because there was a warrant out for his arrest and a price on his head after he was broken out of Fort William. So he was sent to France to be a mercenary and to be with Ian. And they spent a good deal of time, several years as mercenaries before Ian was injured in fighting and sent home. That was kind of the end of the glory days for Ian. And this is hearkening back to that and why he would want to be a soldier because there's a lot of money in it, but it's also adventure. I think that makes Jamie realize what Ian has given up, like what his life has come down to, that this isn't the life that Ian envisioned for himself being a factor running an estate. He wants more. So I liked this scene. I understand why they cut it again, but I did like the content for sure. And the last scene that I want to touch on today, again, an extended scene, but one that I really adore. It's between Myrta and Claire in 114, The Search. They're camping on the beach, and this is after the story about Myrta giving Ellen the boar's tusks and Claire apologizing because she didn't realize how much Myrta cared about Jamie. And Myrta swears to her that if Jamie should truly be gone, he will protect Claire for the rest of his life. He is extending that vow to protect Jamie to Jamie's wife and, without knowing, Jamie's child because Claire is pregnant at this time with Faith. I think it's a very great way to complete the arc between Myrta and Claire that we get in 114. It's something that's kind of open-ended with the way this this ends. I guess we kind of get the conclusion of this in To Ransom a Man's Soul when Claire confronts Myrta about Jamie wanting to kill himself and Myrta comforts Claire. But I do feel like this scene would have had more of a punch if they had included the scene where Myrta vows to protect Claire in 114 because we would understand that bond that has been forged on an entirely different level. And Ron Moore did say that if he had it all to do again with this particular episode, he probably wouldn't have cut this scene because he does feel like it was probably a mistake to cut it. I think that it would have been easy to find the one and a half minutes that it took to include this dialogue somewhere else. 
And it is kind of important, not only to their relationship, but to Murta's character in general. So that is all I have on the deleted scenes for season one. I hope you guys enjoyed this little chat, and I hope this prompts you to either rewatch your Blu-ray and DVDs for all the deleted scenes and extras that you get there, or head on out there, search YouTube, and find out what the heck I've been talking about for the last half hour. We'll get through Droughtlander together. I plan on doing my The Reckoning Redux episode next week. You guys stay safe out there, and I'll chat to you later. Bye! Bye!